Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CDH. I am one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobzors, and today I am joined by my co-hosts, Matt, aka Null. Hello, everyone. Reed, aka Sick Robot. What is up? And Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going? In this episode, we're going to be covering learning a new deck and the tips and tricks to help you, you know, make that a smooth transition, get proficient with a new deck as fast as possible, and yeah, some of the challenges that can that can occur. And without further ado, let's get into housekeeping. And our only element of housekeeping in the show notes today is our uh, we've got a new patron, uh, which is which is a very big element of housekeeping. I mean, this is these are our but main housekeeping elements. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sh- big shout out to Peter E uh, for becoming a new patron. Uh, thanks for your support. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So let's go into new developments. In new developments, we've got the time twisted tournament uh morgan do you want to talk about this a bit because you you sure did some stuff with it yes so the uh time twisted tournament is a paper uh cdh tournament over webcam uh, i believe it's being run on the uh 7th and 8th of december we will, uh, yeah, we will seventh, be eight, linking that stuff so yeah we'll, we'll be linking uh there's a discord it's being run on the 7th and 8th of december uh, there's a $20 entry fee, but there are some pretty incredible prizes on the line. What do, what do they call uh, this? It's like Battle of the Duels is like the subtitle for their tournament. <laughs> for something like that, yeah, because I one. believe there is a Tropical Island, a Scrubland, and a Badlands? That I'm not sure on that last yeah. one, but there are three original duels on the line, as well as some other awesome prizes. Uh, they do a playmat for the winner. Uh, this is the third Time Twisted Tournament. The last one, first place got a Mox Diamond, and second place got, I think, a Badlands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I didn't participate, but I was commentating in that one, and that was a ton of fun. I did participate. Uh, I got a revised yeah. Demonic Tutor, and I had a, like a one-three record or something like that. It was that's pretty good. It was BS the way I got into the into pricing, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah. Apparently, they're going to have new and improved tournament software this time. Um, and it's run uh, by the the Mystic Remoras, who are some pretty cool people who stream CDH on Fridays. Pretty so cool should be a ton of fun. Uh, as many of us as don't have like exams or something are going to enter. <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, even if some of us do have exams, <laughs> my stolen dancer. Yeah, I mean, when there's when there's think about a it. Drop what's the, ex- the line, what's yeah. the expected value of increasing a letter grade on your exam versus the expected value of a tropical island? <laughs> I mean, honestly, right? If I mean, if you're still getting the degree at the end of the day, right? Yeah, would these, you, these would, get degrees. Would you rather? Would you rather have a trop at the end of the day or a slightly higher letter on a piece of paper? <laughs> uh, Stay in school. I yeah, think letters are important, though. <laughs> letters are pretty important. Um, yeah, so that's the Time Twisted Tournament, and our other new development is Team Turn 3 is back in a surprising new form. Hmm, Reed, you want to talk about this one? Mm, sure. Um, so as you who have been in the community for a while might know, or have looked at, looked for, uh, like paper, CDH content, um, Team Turn 3 
used to be a powerhouse. They had a lot of good content out, um, but have been on hiatus for a while now. But it's back. Um, Pongo from Team Turn 3 has basically put together a stream dream team um, and has sort of pivoted Team Turn 3 into being, for, for the time being, a basically a streaming group um, with posts of these of said streams as VODs for YouTube for people to check out and has put together an absolute banger of a team to do streams uh, including uh, the Inter North squad us hi uh, <laughs> some of the Hello. we got some of the spike feeders on there uh, we have Shaper Savant, Shaper Savant, Scotty from Scotty Lurker. Knows Gaming, Lurker, just a whole bunch of greatest hits from the CDH community, honestly. So, uh, and seventy percent Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast are also interested in CDH video content, as I'm sure many people in the community are, because you can never have enough video content. Um, so if you want to check it out, you should, cause some of us are going to be on those streams sometimes, a lot of the time, probably. <laughs> uh, so if you want to see us actually play games, like a lot of you have actually asked for before, you can now actually check us out on team turn three. Um, I believe our current schedule is we are doing Sunday Sundays, streams at 7 PM Eastern. Yes. 7 PM Eastern on twitch.tv slash team turn three. I believe it's the one we will link yes. that. Yeah. In we'll, the we'll, we'll link all of it. In the <laughs> <description>. HTTP. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, yeah, I'm really excited for this because um, I, I think it's great to get everybody together on a stream like that officially because like, you know, people top in between other people's streams and sort of get to meet up for games every once in a while. But to actually have like a dedicated channel for everybody to be like, yeah. It's jam games, and soon, gonna soon awesome. we're going to be approaching the point where we're going to have CDH streams going every single night of the week, <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, there's dude. If you told me about that like a year ago, I would have never believed you. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So let's get into the episode. So again, the topic: learning a new deck. Any of you guys want to want to kick things off with our first little subtopic here? Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Go God, ahead. I was waiting. I was like, Morgan. All right, Morgan's gonna take this. All right, I guess not. Um. Okay. Uh. So specifically, before we get into the like, you know, the process of picking up a new deck and learning it and being good with it and all that stuff, um, I think we wanted to start off with just a general question. If you're looking at picking up a new deck, which is, um, why are you picking up that new deck? And I think it's important that you actually think about that question when you're looking at, like, even not even necessarily like buying into the new deck, but like proxying it up and bringing it to like a play group or whatever, or seriously looking at picking it up and getting good with it. Um, I think like it's just a good idea to like look at the deck that you're picking up and be like, why, why am I looking to play this? What are my reasons behind it? Because that, that certainly helps inform whether or not it's a good decision to pick up that particular deck. And, um, and even like yeah. it, it, it can help inform like the amount of time that you're willing to spend on it and or like some of the decisions later on in the line when you're like learning the deck and still picking it up. Um, just because like there's like 
I want to make it clear that it's okay for the reason for you to pick up a deck to be, I want to play a new deck and this one looked like fun. Like, I mean, it's not that's like half the reason why I pick up new decks. So. <laughs> exactly. It's not. It's not like it has to be like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm looking for something to bust this very specific meta, and I need to pick up this new deck, and this like looked like the best statistical option for that meta. Like that, that can be a reason, but like it can also be the reason of yeah, I just, I just, I want a new fun deck, and this looked like fun. But I do think it's important to think about that. And make yeah. sure that like make you, sure you that actually you're, have that you're in your mind. Not picking a TNT deck because you don't want to be part of the problem. Oh my gosh! Uh, make sure that you're not picking a deck that your friends play, so you're not a, a deck thief. You know, although in case or in case your friends call dibs on a deck first, you know, all <laughs> <laughs> picking up a specific deck is extremely low stakes. <laughs> I don't. You yeah. seem to have <laughs> converged on all these high stake decisions, but honestly. <laughs> Yeah, if it's if it looks fun, that's a good enough reason. Yeah, yeah. One one thing that might be a little qualifier in terms of maybe you shouldn't pick up a particular deck is that it doesn't fit well into your meta because you're just not going to have a good time trying to pilot a deck if you're like, wow, you know, I'm gonna play this Anafenza deck that I that I saw from Noobzors online because you know, so cool. And then I mean, there are lots of reasons not to play <laughs> yeah, that yeah. deck. And then you're, you're, you go, you play it into your meta, and you're like, wow, there's no grave hate. My commander basically does nothing. Why am I playing this deck? <laughs> Maybe don't right? play there's, a creatureless no deck into a and also, meta. <laughs> yeah. Also, honestly, when you pick a deck that doesn't fit into a meta, and then you try to test it out, it also can taint your experience with the deck and like taint how you look at it, because you pick it up and play it into a meta game that it's not suited for and you're like wow this is a terrible deck why would everybody ever play this this is so bad and it just like taints your experience with the deck moving forward and like you you yeah, never really you can, look at it the you're same gonna right? go online and you know complain to everyone how this deck is like tier five garbage garbage tier. and whenever anybody <laughs> mentions it on reddit you just you just go right there and you're like nope this is a terrible deck you should play something else it's not worth yeah. it um but, I mean, I think it's important, you know, you probably don't want to pick a deck that's terrible into your meta, like, you should try and avoid that, but honestly, picking a deck because it sounds fun is probably a better reason to pick a deck than picking a deck that seems really good into your meta. I agree, like, yeah. Like, you can try and meta bust, that's fine, or you can, you know, pick something that works reasonably well, but if you're just picking, like... Anafenza, the best example. You're going like, I'm going to play Anafenza because everyone's on Hulk. Like, you know, first of all, if people switch decks, then you have to switch again because you've picked a deck for, you know, one reason. And if it's not really the playstyle you enjoy, you know, even if you're winning more just because it's so well situated, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be like loving it. So, you know, well, well, yes, obviously don't pick. Don't pick decks into metas that you'll just get trounced in because you won't have a good time. I think you'll have a better time if you pick a deck that's fine in your meta, but you enjoy playing or how it works or something, than if you pick a deck that you don't really enjoy but is really good in your meta. And it also goes a bit further to say, like, it's a lot easier to become good with a deck, and it's a lot... just It's a better time in general if you're going to enjoy playing the deck. Like it's yeah, gonna take you, you a longer time, and it's gonna be harder and more frustrating to learn a deck if you're if you don't enjoy playing it, and if you didn't enjoy it when you pick the deck up. Yeah, beyond beyond just learning a deck, 
becoming proficient with the deck you know it you can import that that uh meme from you know the ten thousand hours to become an expert or whatever there's you don't need ten thousand hours i'd say to become an expert in a particular deck but you you do need to to play quite a few games and you're just not going to get to that or at least it's going to be very unenjoyable to get to that that level of experience of piloting a deck if you don't enjoy what you're doing so yeah pick something pick something you think is interesting you're going to enjoy playing for a few games if you're going to try to just pick it up and then become proficient okay well now that we've uh now, now that we've kind of elucidated how to reasons why and why not to pick a particular deck now that we've made you eat your vegetables yeah, now, now now assuming you've chosen your deck what do you do to actually learn it so i think first things first go to the cedh decklist database and find resources that exist for that deck so uh the cdh decklist database is great because it has links to all the primers and discords for particular decks so yeah we try to keep that updated too so you're generally going to be able to find what you're looking for if you're looking for an established deck that being said too the database also kind of helps you choose decks because it like categorizes them by particular like play styles and also Mm -hmm. yeah like you know you can click on the primer links and most primers have like a motivation section as well yeah so you can help if you're shopping around for a list and you don't necessarily know what you exactly want to play yet, but you like have your motivation behind it, it can also help just to look at lists and check out their sections on like, hey, what's the motivation for playing this one? As Matt said, basically. Also, one one thing too is is people, what from my experience, tend to just go to a uh, pick pick a deck list, then go to the particular discord and then you know ask for advice on, on learning the deck i i think that you can also just go go to a discord and if you're for a deck you're interested and be like sell me on this deck <laughs> i'm sure there's lots of people i know if someone sit on the <laughs> gitrock discord they'd get tons of responses but yeah just having people people on the discords are generally pretty enthusiastic about their deck so they're going to make the most convincing case for it so yeah, yeah that's, that's like, what you need to push yourself. That's honestly the something that I don't actually see that much. I think that people should actually probably do more is just go to deck servers that they haven't actually picked up yet and like just ask around, look around, check stuff out. Because it tends to be like people will pick up the deck and be like, oh, okay, I've decided that I want to play this and then go to the Discord. Or and then look at like, you know, resources after that. Yep. Okay, so you've made it you've made it to you've chosen your deck. You've gone you've gone to the CDH decklist database. Although or the um the commander library discord server is another great way of finding primers and uh discords. Specifically for more I think it's all overarching discords and for discords that like don't pertain to one specific deck, it's pretty great. One thing one thing I will say though is that the the if you're if you're trying to pick up an established deck, these are perfect resources for this, right? Because the, the it's it's a fairly comprehensive list of established decks. But if you want to, let's say you see a uh, discussion on Reddit or on you know particular uh, like the CDH Discord in their brewing channel, you're like, oh, people are brewing around this. 
but there's not really an established list for it, you're, you're going to have some trouble finding some stuff on, on the decklist database. So if there's nothing, no resources available, you're, you're going to kind of have to go through a separate path. And this, and we can, we can discuss that in a bit. Um, but this is, this is primarily for if you've chosen an established decklist. Yes. Well said. And also, I don't think we specific mentioned specifically mentioned this yet, but along with all of those things, like going to check out the discord and whatever, pretty much always when you're looking to pick up a deck, read the primer. If there is one, because it like, honestly, people, I get that you don't want to read about a deck before you do stuff with you. Like you, you want to look at the cards and be like, yeah, this looks fun. And then go play the deck. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want there to be any reading in between those two parts. But honestly, primers are tend to be very, very well uh, maintained. And if they're not, they still answer a lot of questions that you might have about the deck. Yeah, especially before you go on the Discord and you like start asking some really basic questions about the deck. Many times people yeah. will just be like, read the primer. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that many primers. But it's definitely very frustrating to get repeatedly asked questions that are, like, just directly answered in the primer. But one thing that I actually, I genuinely enjoy is getting asked questions about stuff that's in the primer. Like, it makes me think about, you know, the deck, and it makes, it it promotes discussion, and it shows that the person asking the question was actually, like, willing to look in and try and learn rather than sort of just asking, you know, hey, could you think for me, please? Yeah. Yeah. So okay, pretty much what so we're saying is eat your vegetables and do your homework. Yeah. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Basically. <laughs> so now now that you've read the primer, uh, picked your deck on the decklist database or commander library, go into the Discord server, introduce yourself, said hello. What, what are you going to do next? Well... Mm. Something that I like to do <laughs> when I pick up a new deck, personally. Uh, honestly, it's like, it. Uh, I guess it's sort of obvious, and you're probably going to do this intuitively anyway, but I do like to think about stuff that might just be like intuitive and you would just do anyway, because I think it's sort of productive to like conceptualize why you were doing that thing and like actively think about what you're doing, but... <laughs> What I like to do is just think about other decks that are similar to the one that I'm picking up that I might have played before. Say I'm picking up any other Hulk deck. I go, oh, hey, I played a couple of Hulk decks. And like, oh, hey, I've, a couple. I've, I've played a couple of Hulk decks that like might have similar commanders to this one or like might have similar strategies or whatever else like that. And then try to use those previous experiences with decks and maybe try to apply parts of that maybe it doesn't completely fit in the same mold but you can just be like okay well like i i get the general concept behind this or i have some yeah i i, I have some tricks and stuff from my previous experiences with similar decks that i might be able to bring over to this one yeah i think I this just, like, personally think affects me that. i think this personally affects me most when i switch archetypes and like I'll just kind of forget the small things and maybe put myself a couple turns behind and just think about, I guess, like exactly what you're trying to accomplish with the game plan. Because if you kind of confuse like a, a different deck's game plan, you'll forget things and yeah. Yeah, especially like 
the eternal question in all of magic of am I the beatdown? <laughs> right? But like it's like it's a that can be a very difficult question to answer, especially in something like CDH where there are four people and you're all varying degrees of being the beatdown. But having experience with a previous deck that might fit the archetype a bit or can give you context can go a long way toward helping you answer that question. All right. Yeah, I think I think oh. I think one of the other um one of the other things that when you're switching archetypes is also when like think about what it is that makes your archetype different from whatever it was you were playing before because certain habits that you develop um like as an example uh decks with one cmc green dorks uh maybe have certain play patterns where like you really want to develop them on turn one you know, if you opened with like Llanowar Elves and uh, Ponder, you'd almost always want to play the Llanowar Elf, but that might not be as true with other one CMC plays that you have in uh, in some deck that doesn't run Green Dorks. Yeah, and then or you're then at that point you're, a, you're a full turn behind, right? Because you you have to yep. wait a whole turn to get your mana working. But that might. And sort of in that sense as well, um, there can be, say you're really used to playing green dorks and you are very used to the concept of, oh, I have this one green mana thing in my hand, I'm going to play it on turn one. It doesn't really matter what else I have in my hand, I'm going to play this on turn one. Sometimes it's useful to look at, well, how much, like, how much mana does this deck actually need on average, right? Because there are a lot of decks now, especially flash hog decks, um, or other things of the sort where even though you're playing dorks in the deck, you might not actually need all of the mana that they provide and it might be more productive to do something else. So it's just like making that consideration of, okay, let me, let me question my pre-existing play patterns that I might have associated with some of these cards and see if they still fit in the new deck that I'm looking at. Yeah, and, and kind of piggybacking off the play patterns and, and things from old decks and how it works into new deck one thing that's kind of important is that you can carry over some of that your bias from previous decks when and and you might you might be eager to be like you know this this isn't the cards that i'm seeing in this deck or that i'm playing uh, they're just not working out appropriately you know they're i'm trying to you're playing them a certain way but it's just not working you think oh this, this is just inefficient deck design you know, I'm going to make some tweaks, but a lot of the decks deck lists you're going to find on the deck list database um, have been tuned by multiple players for a long time. So is it is it something that you're noticing that everyone just missed? Maybe, but also maybe is that you're just missing something that it takes more experience to kind of realize. Yeah, it doesn't never happen that you see something that everyone else missed, but, uh, you know, it's like they laugh at fools and they laugh at geniuses, but most of the people being laughed at aren't geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a pretty good piece of advice is to just play the stock list for multiple games like not just you know one or two games make some tweaks 
I think it's probably wise to just jam a stock list for, you know, 10 plus games before you decide to make any changes. It just helps establish a solid baseline and give you and gives it enough time for the deck to kind of show what it's trying to do. Also, I would not just personally make any changes without, you know, consulting the deck list server first because people will will generally have opinions. Sometimes it could happen that, you know, you're let's say someone picks up Gitrog for the first time and they're like playing Chains of Mephistopheles and they're like, yeah, God, you know, I've, I've played this card. I played this deck, you know, 10 times. But every time I play Chains, you know, nothing is just not working right for me. I'm, I'm maintaining card disadvantage or I'm, I'm maintaining. I'm not getting card advantage. I'm not breaking parity well on it. Um, what's even the point of this in the deck? You go on the deck, you go on the Gitrog server, and they're like, yeah, well, you know, Chains is actually a really important discard outlet in case there's a curse to it or more Linvala. And, and those kinds of niche scenarios are something that might not happen in your 10 games or in your specific meta. Um, they can also say, oh, you know, you're supposed to break parity on Chains of Mephistopheles by using dredge cards. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Like, And, and particularly... Um when you have a deck that you're not super experienced with and it seems like a card isn't performing just certainly keep in mind the possibility that you're not using it right or you're approaching it the wrong way as opposed to wow you know i haven't you know like oh this card isn't performing i'm gonna try swapping it out like yeah it's very easy to think of a card as doing one thing when it's actually in there for a different reason or like potentially uh, Narset's reversal is a big one. Yes. But also potentially yeah, sometimes it's not just a, you know, the an additional, you know, quote unquote counter spell. Sometimes it's yeah, <laughs> necessary for combos. You actually just need it in the deck. Yeah. But also like sometimes it it maybe not like it might not be that you're playing the card incorrectly, but it might be that the game situation or the situations rather that the card is in the deck to help you play through or the situations that it's in the deck for basically just aren't coming up in your testing games. And it's good to realize sometimes that the cards that are in the deck that you're just like, these don't seem like great choices might be choices that are better in general, but might not be performing specifically for you. And it's good to ask around and be like, Hey, why is this card in the deck rather than just writing it off as bad? Because a lot of the time people will write off cards as bad if they're not performing for them. When that might be true that they're bad in that situation specifically, but not in general. And it's good to know like the reasons behind cards being in the deck. And don't before forget making those that swaps. Like, before you ask a question, always consult your primer because there are definitely sections like single card discussion sections in primers. And there are also like meta consideration sections. So... Yeah, knowing in the primers, like kind of what Matt was saying, meta considerations, they will help you. They'll often list kind of the flex slots in the deck. So, you know, in, in Gitrog, for instance, uh, Graft Digger's Cage, Natural State are some flex slots. If you're not if you're not seeing, you know, if people aren't jamming Rest in Peace, Curse Totem into your meta and you don't need to, or and there's no like ISO Rev or, or uh, Food Chain or something, right? Natural State, probably not the best. If it's more of like a creature-based Staxi meta, something like that, swap that out for something more appropriate uh and there, there's a, usually in primers appropriate swaps for those specific cards or general meta specific tuning cards but you can also just ask on the server so 
oh, this is my meta. What do I need for for this for this kind of uh, for, for what kind of swap would be ideal here? Um, yeah, and and sometimes meta spe- meta specific hate makes it into the uh, base list, which I think the biggest example of is Graph Digger's Cage, because lots of deck builders kind of assume a really Hulk heavy meta. Or because just assume the, that people are like have any amount of Hulk in their meta, right? Yeah, yeah. And that assumption might might not hold true for your for your case. So, yeah, always consult the primer for flex slots, meta swaps, and ask on the servers. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, and the last last bit of advice we have for introducing yourself and, and picking up and learning a new deck is how to practice uh how and how to maximize so we, we did mention you know playing multiple games before you know making tweaks yourself and but before you, you would typically be considered proficient enough to make these kinds of calls but in these kinds of games if you're just trying to improve your skill and proficiency and knowledge with a particular deck there is there is some techniques you can do to maximize the benefits of your practice games. So Reed, do you wanna you wanna jump into this one? Yeah, sure. Um so sort of adjacent to practice games is something that I mean I like to do and I, I find it helps me pick up decks faster if I'm doing it. Um but in addition to doing practice games, if you're Picking up a proactive deck, so something that is looking to actually execute its game plan fairly consistently, and you're not like going to be sitting there holding up interaction or slamming down sax pieces or something like that, is just to do like gold fishing with the deck, basically. <laughs> basically, just like drawing hands and playing them out. Um, because when you're picking up like a new deck that's proactive but might have a different game plan or a different way of getting to the win than decks you've played before it can be really good just to like give yourself seven cards at random and then try to work out a win from those seven cards and figure out like hey okay what's because in in like a practice game you're not you might not be fully paying attention to what's in your hand or like what you're going to do in the next three turns to win you're just sort of looking there like okay what am i doing this turn hmm what might they have in their hand, like thinking about like the other people at the table and all that stuff. And I find that sort of focusing on, okay, so in the next three turns, what can I do to get to the win from this hand can be a really like, it can be a nice mental exercise in getting you sort of thinking about how the deck works and thinking ahead in your game plan for the deck, which can be really nice for applying later on in actual games. Yeah. And then in the actual, that was, that was a, good sidebar on on goldfishing and whatnot but in the actual game when you're what 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 sorts of things should you be paying attention to about a deck like what what sorts of questions should you be asking yourself uh and kind of taking away from from the actual game because sometimes like well, you can th- you can just mindlessly jam games and you will get better like you, your brain you are subconsciously learning you know but if you want to kind of expedite <laughs> that and and you know focus and, and basically basically you can't you can be like well read 
right? Or you can do <laughs> book report kind of <laughs> situations and really, really analyze what was going on. Dude, so, so how do you analyze know, your games? I don't know what you're talking about, but I play all my games in autopilot and look how easy it is to get good at the game that way. <laughs> yeah, if you're jamming I, I think, hundreds of games, geez. <laughs> I think one of the I think one of the biggest things that people focus on is they look in the wrong places for mistakes. Um, like they, you know, you try and go off and you're executing your combo and then you mess it up and you, you know, it could be something where you just got the wrong card. It could have been something like, oh, I actually couldn't go off from here because, you know, I didn't have this piece and so I didn't have the mana to do whatever. And like, it's very, it's reasonably easy, you know, when you have the primer open in front of you and the game state that you had and you're thinking about it to be like, oh, right. If I'd done X, Y, or Z, it would have been better. Um, but I think the biggest place for mistakes is actually a lot earlier for that. It's, you know, I sometimes use the term like the first tutor. This but is it's, a really good, yeah, this is a really good point. It's like when, you know, let's say you cast a demonic tutor on turn three and you're holding up interaction and you're not even necessarily planning on winning the next turn, but you're like, okay, now I'm going to try, like, I'm going to, you know, this tutor is one that's, it's not trying to get me out of a deficit. It's like, this is going to give me some big advantage. You know, which line did you go for? You know, which, which combo piece did you find? Or did you actually just go for like a value engine, something like that? Um, you know, why did you find that piece? Why were you going for that combo? You know, would it have been better if you'd found, you know, maybe some other combo that's a little bit harder to pull off, but if you got wheeled, it was less bad or something like that, where it's not the finding the line in the turn where you win. That's the place where you make a lot of mistakes. It's the few turns before that, where you decided that was the line you were going for. Yeah. So some good examples, you came to that decision. Some good examples would be in food chain. You know, are you spending your demonic tutor to find a food chain and just sit with it in hand? Uh, you know, because sometimes, you know, if people will launch, if you're in a pod with a non-blue player, they might launch some hand attack. You know, you food chain player just cast a tutor. Maybe I can, you know, snag something out of their hand. Oh, wow, food chain. Now you're just so behind. Or Instead like, of if you had found something like a tainted pact or a consult, uh, you're keeping your food chain in a, a place where it's much safer, which is in your deck. But also you're allowing yourself to get that additional value from it in terms of hitting the caster exile creatures or in a pinch you can use it to go find like a counterspell or piece of interaction and whatnot um in gitrog a common mistake that that new players make is on within tomb many players will sit on in tomb until they're ready to combo off they'll sit they'll get uh, get get more gitrog in play discard outlet and then they'll cast in tomb to go and find dakmore when more experienced pilots will be spending their their first little cast like in tomb turn one to go find a life from the loam because you're going to be slowly it, it gives you a nice bit of resiliency in terms of you know it's just getting if it gets if your loam gets countered they're not gonna it's like unless it's it's delay or force or of negation, force of negation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are the those are the sorry, those oh are the, the the feels bad oh my god but, that i cannot express how good it feels to target <laughs> to target a life in the loan with the delay mm. yeah but mm. so aside from those specific counter spells <laughs> you're fine you people aren't going to be countering your loam so it's a solid piece of 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 uh it's a solid value engine that 
you can be hitting every single turn, hitting your land drop, setting up for Gitrog, and eventually, by the time you've got, you know, it help you, it can help you set up for the cleanup step, step sculpt, or it can, even just when you get Gitrog plus discard outlet, and you have like Loam plus three lands in hand, you can just do your like dredge tutoring to find Dakmore. So these kinds of things that might not seem like wow, you know, you're really setting up for the win very early on by finding a life from the Loam. It's it it leaves you open for these kinds of plays and uh, and along those lines as well in some decks uh, when when people pick up Zur or Kess, um, one thing they'll do is they'll rely on their commander too much. They'll be like, okay, uh, I'm gonna hit land drop uh, turn one, turn two, land drop signet, turn three, uh, land drop, tap out for my commander. Most decks and experienced pilots don't recommend those kinds of plays because you know you might need to be holding up mana or you want to it's, it's actually pretty important that you, your commander sits around so you want to have uh you know your commander plus a counter spell or something uh whereas i'm sure reed can speak to this lots of tnt players i see not utilizing their commanders enough they get too focused on their win con instead of on the grind you know like yep. these kinds of that's, These kinds of balancing acts are, like Morgan was saying, you can win or lose the game much earlier on. Uh, so you, you really need to be analyzing, you know, should I have cast a spell at this time, even if it's not directly related to your win? And honestly, like that, that was a, actually, I think, a pretty good example for tying back to something that we mentioned before, where the whole thing about like, a lot of times, like things like four mana commanders that have a high impact on the game, you don't necessarily want to tap out for early when, like, the Prime first time that you can. Target. Right? So that, but also maybe, like, <laughs> they don't have as much of an impact as they could yeah. if, like, say you were playing Kess and you had an extra turn to spend, like, a tutor and a cantrip, and then next turn, when you play Kess, you have a stock graveyard to immediately go to, rather than, like, having her sit on the board, and now, oh, well... I don't know if I can do all this stuff in this turn or like, oh, I'm going to cast like my cantrip out of the bin yeah. to go find something. Right. Um, but also like the whole thing about reviewing and sort of making sure to look at your past biases from decks that you've played, where these are things that you would see out of, say, a TNT player switching to Kesser Zur and probably being more likely to tap out for their commander early because it's just something that they're used to versus maybe a Kesser Zur pilot switching to TNT where they're more reluctant to cast their commander because they have the past experience with, well, I don't necessarily want to tap out for this right now. Where yeah. it's it's important to look back and be like, well, what play patterns might I have that what bias might I be bringing over from a previous deck that might not fit with the way that this deck works or this strategy works. Yeah, I, I played a game the other day against a TNT pilot and he cast the Timna. He got in once or twice and then everyone could block the Timna. And he was passing with like at least five or six mana open for several turns in a row. And he just never cast Thrasios. I was like, what? Just, I don't know why you're <laughs> like, I was worried. I'm like, he's going to figure out he's going to cast Thrasios. He's going to be activating it like at least once a turn cycle, possibly twice. And then like, we just can't win if that goes on too long. And he just didn't cast it. And I was like, what, but and yeah, like it's so like that, you know, if you're coming from food chain first sliver, you're like, well, I mean, why would I cast my commander? It doesn't, 
or like you know that's that kind you, of yeah. you don't think you don't <laughs> think of your commander as like oh yeah i'll just cast this as like a value engine you think of your commander as like i'll cast this because i have literally nothing else to do yeah it's not like well it actually might be better to cast my commander now rather than even like using this tutor in my hand because like eh, well commander's low low variance it's low uh low opportunity cost i can just jam it and then maybe cast two later on I think as a general piece of advice, like to try to summarize like the past 10 minutes of conversation, um, <laughs> it, it's hard to win when everyone is even on advantage and whatever metric for advantage you want to consider, like card advantage, it's pretty hard to win when everyone's even. So if you're going for your first tutor, maybe think about trying to create an imbalance and card, you know, an advantage, pick a card that will provide you the advantage. And then if you already have the advantage, then you're great to tutor for your win conditions. So what you're saying is always find Flash because that card is the <laughs> most imbalanced. <laughs> oh, I love tutoring for Flash. But winning the game is infinite. I, I, love, I love tutoring for Flash with no Hulk in hand and then just making people terrified. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and that's also, you know, Matt used card advantage as an example, and that's probably the most common form of advantage, but something like that play of finding Flash, yeah. that's, a, that's a mana advantage, basically. You've You've taxed your opponents because mm -hmm. now they have, they feel they have to respect the flash. So yeah, just sure. at building on building on. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Matt's point. Tutor, rather than tutor certainly. for flash, maybe just tutor for more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you should. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like so, people people don't tutor for Remora or Sylvan Library enough. I find myself like my early vamp tutors or Imperial Seals when I'm playing Gitrog and like. Yep, Sylvan Library seems pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> or carpet. <depending laughs> Go on grab this one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Early carpets are great. So actually something that I did want to, like as in another example, because I think this one is a fairly easy one to get about that kind of thing, about like, well, maybe you tutored for the wrong thing earlier on, and now like, you know, being able to win the game is basically a direct result of that rather than your play during that turn, is something like, and I, I personally think this is like an easy one to sort of get intuitively but say you're on like urza and like you have an urza on the board and i have like i don't know maybe maybe i have a fabricate in hand right and thinking about what i'm getting with this fabricate and a new pilot might be like hmm well this is an isochron reversal deck so i think i'm gonna go get isochron scepter with this and then maybe i can piece together a win the turn after that and then they maybe find the reversal somehow and they try to go for it but then they get stuffed and somebody just has the counter magic and they have to expend the counter magic on it there because they're just like well this is you're obviously going to win the game so i'm going to stop you here whereas maybe if you had fabricated for something like a winter orb instead and you like it thought a bit more about maybe i don't have to go directly for my win condition right now and i can sort of play with some other card advantage engines or something that a new player to the deck might not see as a win condition, but realistically is. Uh, go for that instead and be like, okay, I'm going to find a wind orb instead. And then I'll jam it this turn when people can't stop me, as opposed to like having it in hand and then having to wait for a later turn. Yeah. And I think the one, the one last thing with tutors is that, off, that there are many situations where the correct tutor target is nothing because it's the wrong time to cast it. Like, you think, oh, I have the mana, I'll just spend it. So that, like, you know, mana and mana efficiency is important. But let's say your deck has 
several not super overlapping A plus B combos. If you tutor for half of one of them, and then draw half of another one, like you've you've essentially you, know, you can't win. But if you had held the tutor, yes, you'd be less mana efficient. But you know when you drew when you drew your lab man, you know instead of finding the the flash, you know you could have just found the consult or or whatever the combo happens to be. So not just making sure you're finding the right card, but also making sure it is actually right to cast the tutor. Yeah. Like, man, man efficiency feels like it's an easy thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, obviously, if I'm spending my mana more efficiently, that's better. And it's not that hard to do that, to, like, make sure you are maximizing how much mana you spend every turn. But there's a lot of points where you can commit yourself on one line and that isn't actually the line that you wanted to be on in that specific game. And honestly, if you're practicing like consistently, just make a point of tutoring something different every time. Like you don't really know a play is gonna not work unless you try it, or unless you can like very accurately theorize the outcome. So I'd say just try to switch it up. That's actually yeah. that's actually a great point. Is yeah. Good, yeah. Just yeah, when you're picking up a new deck, like maybe not necessarily like. Just being like, oh, I think like this is the absolute best thing for me to win the game with right now. But when you're picking up a new deck, just being like, well, this might be what I think is the best way to win, but I'm going to try this out and see what impact it has so I can use that later on and see like, hey, maybe maybe this was the better tutor target in this situation. Yeah, especially when yeah, take advantage of the fact that you're still in that learning phase, right? I probably not. I probably wouldn't take uh a brand new deck to something like the time twisted tournament when you're trying to win a tropical island but you know definitely you you by the time you know if you're like okay time twisted tournament that's going to be in early december i've got you know a few more you know friday night edh meetups so that i can practice with my friends so i'm gonna you know try to pick up this brand new deck i'm gonna pick up uh sacred hulk because that seems like it's a good deck so you want you want to be like you like Matt was saying like experimentation is valuable because by the time you make it to the the time twisted tournament if you've only if you only have ever done what you think was optimal and and, and just doing the same kind of rote thing every time you're you're not and, and all of a sudden some novel situation presents itself you might not have the the expertise or or familiarity with these kind of weird situations to profitably come away from that so experiment learn learn the ins and outs of the deck learn when each tutor target is appropriate etc etc um yeah <laughs> with that does anyone have anything else to add that sums it up we, for me. Uh, close out this topic yeah i think we're about good cool cool and that means it's time for everyone's favorite segment gut check gut check gut check alright gut check okay. <laughs> so we have, we have specific check. instructions to give them first right so I, I was given I gave, I gave the other guys specific instructions for this gut check to have the ban list pulled up in front of them so that they can have a, a sole reference of cards. 
But the question, the gut check question is, what card that is currently banned do you think is safe to bring into the format that would also be interesting slash healthy for the current CDH meta? Is there even a card that fits this description? Oh boy. Yeah, so like oh, people could... Like, I have my answer. <laughs> obviously cards like Biorhythm are very safe to bring into the format because no one's going to be casting Biorhythm. But ideally you're going to find a card that adds some some play that that will see play and that's going to be you know healthy for the format so let me know when you guys have your answers oh i'm good i'm good to go i've had my answer dude for like months <laughs> yeah no this, <laughs> we were all very yeah. quick okay uh so i'll lead off with mine uh my answer is gifts ungiven um and reason being is that i think this is a card that could add some interesting Build arounds is in terms of being like a one card win condition for like reanimator stuff. Also adds interesting stuff for storm decks. Um, all around an interesting card. Definitely would see play. Don't think it's that broken. God, that's such the basic bitch answer for this. It is. It is a basic bitch answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, my answer is Leovold, and because God, no! because people yes. are drawing too many cards, yes. <laughs> that has to stop. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the enemy here, I guess. Read. I would like to also lock in Leavel as my answer. No, no, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> because I think there needs to be something to help offset Thrasios Timna, and he's a fucking sick bug commander. Let's go, Leavold. And what's the best offset to Leavold? Could you remind Freevold. me? Oh yeah, Leavold <laughs> is the best answer to Leavold. So that just... doesn't sound like a problem at all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Morgan, your answer. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be a basic bitch, so I think I have to save Recurring Nightmare. Were you going to say Gifts uh, Ungiven? I was torn between <laughs> Gifts Ungiven and Recurring Nightmare. Okay. Um, I think that Recurring Nightmare is, like, it's it's actually a reasonably efficient uh, reanimate effect, and it's, like, it, it the fact that it's reusable enables a lot of interesting things. You know, it's a little bit slower than, you know, straight up reanimate. A little um, bit. <laughs> a little bit slower. Um, but I think that in like more uh more like mid-rangey decks, like more like Razakats or things like that, um it provides you know, like it provides uh an option that can be really you know, you can just use it to reanimate Razakath, obviously. But also if you're reanimating sort of slower stuff, or maybe in a deck like uh like Blood Pod, um where you can reanimate like sort of mid-tier threats without feeling like you've used a spell that you don't get back. Like if you just reanimate, I don't know, some, let's say Linvala, and it's not like fantastic on the board. It's just like okay, this yeah, Linvala will be trade nice to a have. dork for Linvala, or every time you, you you're top decking some you know garbage dork, you can cash well, that you, in for yeah. something because recurring nightmare sticks around and yeah. Yeah, but if you, if you do that with, like, reanimate, then you're like, well, now if I draw a way to bin my Razaketh, exactly. like, I actually just don't have a reanimate. But this one doesn't do that. Um, but I will say, I think that this card would be a nightmare in casual because oh, it's... Oh, oh, 100%. Yeah, that was actually not intentional. Because it's... If you understand how the priority system works, uh, you quickly realize that it's actually... You cannot destroy you this cannot. card. It doesn't work. <laughs> 
<laughs> it doesn't work. You just can't do it. Like yeah. it's all by the time you have a chance to cast a spell, even people go, Oh, well, crows and grip. It's like, nope, no, even crows and grip. By the time you have a chance to cast it, recurring nightmares already yeah, in there. Return definitely should have been part of the, the ability, not the cost. Yeah. <laughs> well, except then you could activate it multiple times, and that also yeah. sounds yeah. like a problem. <laughs> Guess you're right. Rep. Oh. Okay, Morgan, we'll have to we'll have to do another segment sometime explaining <laughs> yeah, without why us. Leopold is so not what we want in the format. Uh, I'm so <laughs> happy that I'm on the winning team again. <laughs> I mean, I'd be f- I'd be fine if he was banned only as a commander, but yeah, sure. yeah, okay, fine. But I just I can't. The fact that Leovold is the perfect answer to Leovold, it's just all wrong. Didn't they? What was the? Didn't they have a card like this in? Standard a while ago, like like a wasn't Bane's uh, Angel or something. Mental like misstep was oh yeah, mental, was a famous example. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But we get to play mental misstep in our format, so obviously Leovold's good. It's good to go. Imagine if imagine if everybody had a mental misstep as signature spell as like it was like a <laughs> oh my god <laughs> breaker kind of thing. That's that's the level of degeneracy we're talking about. Okay, well that wraps it up for gut check, and uh, let's move on to listener questions. So, from Scotty of Scotty Knows Gaming, and or Scotty Knows MTG, sorry, that old, old... I think, uh, you know what, at this point, I think we can call him friend of the podcast Scotty. Yeah, I think friend, he's earned that. Yeah, friend yeah, of the all podcast right, all right. Scotty. I'll accept it. Why, why hasn't Dave been on the show yet? And Dave, he's referring to, of course, is friend of the show, Dave, <laughs> who, who's come turn up. Turn up. Yeah, he's come up every now and then. Yeah, Dave, uh, why? <laughs> Come on, Dave. Uh, Dave was actually almost on one of our very early shows. Oh, hold on. That actually reminds me. In our last episode, we forgot to mention that we had just crossed our anniversary. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. So yeah. Our, yeah. Our, our, our episode, our first episode released on October 10th, uh, 2018. So, I mean, we're recording this well past that, but I mean, happy belated birthday to us, I guess. Yay. so back to back to uh dave yeah dave was almost on one of our very early shows and then his he had technical technical mishaps with his with recording on his end and his computer so that didn't end up working out but we definitely have plans to bring him on for his uh all of his hot takes (laughs) great hot takes (laughs) that'll probably just be the episode title yep hot takes yeah Dave's hot takes is gonna oh, be the episode. Are you guys ready for an hour and a half of continuous hot takes? It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll tell us all how uh, Kasali Pride Mage should be in every deck that can run it. <laughs> Whisperwood <laughs> Elemental and he's right though. Hero Blade Holt yeah, and no, all he's just strictly yeah. correct. <laughs> uh, be a good okay, holiday so, episode. <laughs> oh, true, true. Um, okay, so now for a more uh, substantial question. Uh, this is from Sweet Fancy Moses. How many high-costed cards make it no longer worth it to run a card like Ad Nauseam? Okay, first I just want to say this is like a great a question because question. there's so many things that go into Ad Nauseam decks and people have this, you know, there's like some people have the myopic focus on low average CMC and some people focus on certain other aspects like how much just how much acceleration is in the deck but there's a lot of factors and so this is a great excuse to talk about them. oh yeah 
Yeah, so I'll 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 just say some things. One is CMC isn't everything. Uh sometimes you need to consider or sorry, average CMC isn't everything. Sometimes you need to consider just pure card quality uh over things like, you know, oh man, I could I could be running this uh I could be running Gaia's Blessing instead of this second Titan in my Gitrog list. I could be on I could be on Guy's Blessing instead of Ulamog and Shufflehog. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're like, wait a second, no, you, you put some more thought into it and you realize that you know what? Ad nauseum as a your your average CMC of your other cards, excluding these massive bombs, is you know fairly reasonable you're still going to draw a bunch of cards you're still likely going to win the game off of an ad nauseum so you stick with it and even though you've got these these two massive bombs that you've got to you know be aware of as you're ad nauseum through your deck it's not a reason to cut ad nauseum or it's not a reason to cut the second titan because you know most people who are on double titan are like oh tainted pact uh plunge into darkness those are two pretty good cards so yeah <laughs> Linden, <laughs> that's just the get rug yeah Linden's just using this as a platform to complain about people trying to cut ad nos from get rug <laughs> yeah that's that's always wrong. <laughs> um but yeah like i it, it is a really great great question though about like specifically how many higher costed cards uh makes it not viable anymore because honestly there's like there's so much that goes into that decision, and there's a lot of like how you're using Adnos in the first place in a deck like that, right? Yeah. Um, so one yeah, thing, think- one thing that I think that, that comes up a lot is is like dark petition things like that. Sometimes in in budget decks, dark petition is like a pretty good card to include because a lot of the time being put on blast here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel personally I- attacked. <laughs> <laughs> and, and dark petition ends up just being like a, a you know a demonic tutor for a lot of the time in in lots of these spell based decks, and it becomes in in like a full budgetless build becomes hard to justify when you've got other options. Uh, but in budget, you know you've got to go to dark petition. But then do you cut ad nauseum? Does it does that affect your your main plan too much? It's a it's a tough balance a lot of the time, and it's it's okay. it can easily be swung either way for in some cases. Dark petition is not a budget demonic. It is not. That's not why it's <laughs> index at all. I've I've seen it be used as a budget budget demonic tutor, not purely budget demonic tutor, but like if you're more expensive tutors like imperial seal, vampiric tutor. Sometimes people can't put that in their budget decks. So they fit in cards in order to maintain tutor density, cards like Dark Petition. And that being a high CMC card can affect your, your ad nauseums. So when you put in more, like, uh, I mean, I can go to Gitrog again for an example, and people use Gerard's Orders as a budget, uh, Survival of Fittest, they use, uh, you know, Final Parting in some decks, and, and these cards creep up the CMC. So if you all of a sudden you go from your one CMC Vampiric Tutor to a Dark Petition, your two CMC Survival of the Fittest to four CMC Draws Orders, and these kinds of these kinds of changes tend to bring up the average CMC, and then ad nauseum becomes more questionable. Okay, that like yes, you shouldn't. You probably shouldn't run Dark Petition as a budget demonic tutor in uh, a random deck, but. Dark Petition definitely goes in decks, and it goes in those decks for a reason. Yes, I think that I think that your but your arguments synergized because they're both reasons to like justify the card quality when considering ad nauseum. Yeah, 
Yeah. And um, I like honestly. So I know a lot of people get like sort of freaked out when you have like these big hits in your deck, right? Off of like for Nas. Um like you have like an Aldrazi Titan in your deck. Or even if you don't have an Aldrazi Titan, you just you have a Protean Hulk in your deck and you're just like, eh, not sure if I want to play Adnaz anymore because I have the seven CMC hit off the top. Um I think it's still worth it to just like think about how absurd of a card Adnaz is anyway. <laughs> like even say like you're Adnazing from 40 life or whatever, and even if you hit your like one of your titans or a hulk off the top in like the first three cards every single time like how many cards you're still getting off of a Nas on average like yeah. even even taking what? that hit to the dome where like a lot of the time you're still getting another like 10 cards after that right i think i think also one of the things people tend to focus on overly with ad nauseum is they basically just do the math on how deep ad nauseum is going to get them or like how deep, how safely. Yeah. So having the Titans in the deck maybe means that, you know, you feel a lot of pressure to stop before a Titan will kill you. Or, you know, having a bunch of five drops, you're like, okay, well, now I don't want to, you know, if you're running Dark Petition and Force of Will and like Mind's Desire or whatever it is, you're like, okay, maybe I kind of have to stop above there. But how deep you get isn't like... Ad nauseum, ad nauseum for 30 cards doesn't just mean you win the game, depending on what the 30 cards are. So it, it certainly depends on how well your deck is built to actually win off of the ad nauseum after it resolves. Like, how much mana are you going to have access to, and how likely are you to ad nauseum into more mana? Um, how much mana your actual wins take to execute? Like, I think one of the best ones, the best examples of just an incredible ad nauseum deck that's, like, super consistent is Food Chain. Because it's just... It's all you mana. You need so yeah. little mana. You have to get Food Chain into yeah. play, basically. And then, if you have a creature, you're done. Or if you don't have a creature, you have to get one creature into play. Like, a mana dork yeah. and you a You just need, like, four mana play. total to do an ad nause. Like, win post ad nause. And the deck runs, you know, all the good fast mana and rituals. Um, so, you know, that's that's a deck where, like, even if you... I mean, it does have an incredibly low average CMC, and the only high-cost cards are... Like, you have Force of Will, Ad Nauseam, and then you have Mist Hollow Griffin at yeah. four, and then you're done. But, like, let's pretend your, your Food Chain deck had an Ulamog in it. Like, I don't know, you're playing Corvold or something. Um... It doesn't matter because you still will like you still have very high chances of winning off of ad nauseums, even for lower life totals or even with a slightly yeah. higher average. I, so it's an important thing to, to consider. Yeah, I definitely think it's less of a like I have these high CMC cards in my deck, so that means I can't play ad nauseum and more of a while I might have these CMC these high CMC cards in my deck that like make my ad nauseum worse sometimes, but also Maybe my deck's not fully built to take advantage of a smaller Adnaz. And yeah, like so that makes it that makes good, it worse. It's a, you can almost you can Adnauseum is such a powerful card that you can almost build like a little I mean, this is oh this is over reductive in ter terms of like how complex the decision making process is in terms of Adnaz. But you can kind of make a little two by two matrix of 
you know, is my deck low CMC and how well does it win off of an Adnos? Like how much mana do you need to win? Because, and, and you're going to, you can run Adnos as just a, a value draw spell if you've got a low CMC deck. And then even if you've got, you know, high average CMC bombs, like Morgan was saying, you can, you can still, it's still just worth it to run a lot of the time because you've got mana to take advantage of it and you can win like that. However, if you fall in that like little tiny quadrant where you've got high CMC and you don't take advantage of it well due to like low fast mana, probably not worth it. So I think a good counterexample in that spot is I don't run ad nauseum in my uh, Anafenza deck because, <laughs> you know, you've got bombs like Elishnorn, Razaketh, uh, generally just higher CMC uh, with, you know, like you've got like four drops like Linvala and whatnot. So that makes it harder you've got the, that higher average cmc and then also you're just you don't have high amounts of fast mana to to profit off of right you've got things like led for combo purposes but if you're playing like a null rod style deck you're gonna you're not gonna have things like uh you know mana vault uh grim monolith lotus petals like those kinds of cheap cards that are going to uh really enable you to close out the game after an add on so I can just draw cards and be stuck with a Razaketh in my hand and be like, yeah, crap, I need to find a way to discard this and I need to reanimate it. Uh, I can't use reanimate because that's going to, you know, cost me even more of my life if I've just taken a bunch off of Ad Nauseam. Razaketh takes life already, so that's costing you more mana. Like, you're going to have to spend, you're going to use an animate dead instead. And these kinds of things add up and kind of make it harder to justify running an Ad Nauseam. Yeah, how much life total pressure you're deck or how much pressure your deck puts on your life total is a is another thing that is often important to consider yeah definitely uh when looking at your at like if you just keep jamming in all these things and like you have a really painful mana base and 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 then oftentimes by the time you actually get around to casting ad nauseum you're at like 30 life and then yeah and and that can still vary often when you the game but but like maybe you're you're yeah. not all, you have like a lot of pain in your mana yeah. base and you're also not particularly taking it like putting cards in that make the add-ons better so you're just like yeah well i got a low count off of it but also a lot of the stuff that i hit off of this add-ons wasn't exactly high quality nos hits so all right i've got a revision to the question how many <laughs> higher costed cards make it no longer worth it to cast narset's reversal on an ad nauseum <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, I once copied an ad nauseum when I was still playing a bunch of turn spells in my cast deck, and it didn't go super well. <laughs> Love I, it. Yeah, I was like, okay, cast it. Uh, walk the Aeon's time stretch. I was like, well, <laughs> I think we're going to stop there. You know Honestly, I think I'm probably greedy enough that I would Narset's reversal and ad nauseum if I was on Narset. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just feels like a flavor. I think, I think, I, I think I'd probably still go for it because just you gotta greed so much. I mean, like, yes, you have all of this expensive stuff in your deck, and you're probably gonna die after two hits. But I mean, the rest of your deck's just all fast mana, right? So you just gotta go for it. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I'll also note is that people get too greedy with their ad nauseums if they're not gonna close out the game. Like I, I've seen people who get to let's say 15 life and they're like oh you know i'm still probably like two cards or i need a mana i need to hit a mana crypt exactly to close out the game here or they just don't feel like it'd be you know in a comfortable position with enough protection 
So they probably should stop and just use it as a cut it off as a value ad nauseum, but they'll keep digging until they get to, you know, like seven life, five life, and then they'll call it quits and they won't be able to win the game until their next turn. And then people will just be they like, get beat to okay, death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beat to death. So, but that's, that's I, something I w- you need to consider. I will say though, that killing yourself with an ad nauseum is not always wrong. Oh yeah. Like if there are definitely times where if you've gone sufficiently deep on your ad nauseum, and it's like, I can't win, and I'm not going to live another turn, then, you know, you can either stop there and say, I can't win, or you can try and get lucky. And if you get lucky, you win. And if you don't get lucky, you die. But you were going to die yeah. anyways. So um, certainly, like, figure, you know, some people sometimes don't stop early enough, but they also do sometimes stop too early. Yeah, like if you've if, if you've you committed, point, if you pass commit. past the point of no return, but I also think that that's kind of to my point a bit, which is you probably shouldn't be going to that point where you have to continue to dig for your out. I mean, don't, well, it, don't it's go hard to, your, to yeah. Like I don't know if you're at 15 life and you went like I just need one more mana. Like that's not that seems pretty reasonable in a lot of decks. If you're like okay, any of the Moxin Soul Ring. Vault, Crypt, oh, you know, okay, maybe something yeah, like yeah, like Dockside or Dark Ritual, and then it's just like you're you know you're just flipping, and then you hit like you know two drop, three drop, Force of Will, and you're like, well, that's not yeah, ideal, and you, you know. But at that point, you do have to keep going to try and win because you're just gonna die from beats. Yep, that's definitely a mistake I see often too. Um, anything? Any, anyone else want to chime in on this question before I uh, wrap it up? I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode. If you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at into the North pod via our email at into the North podcast at gmail.com or on our discord server, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. An extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the costs and expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast. If you, too, would like to become a Patreon, we are at patreon.com slash Into the North Podcast. Thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo, and to our long-suffering podcast editor, Roadkill. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Peace. Bye-bye. Have a good one.